0: Well, all right. Welcome to River City Worship Center. Again, my name is Corey Burkhead. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I want to say thank you so much for being here. We actually took a break from this series last week where Pastor Jason did a message, a great message on truth and grace, and this week we're jumping back into our series called Elements. And I'm really excited about this because each week what we are looking at are the elements that are produced from the Holy Spirit, okay? Okay. And each week what we're doing is we're taking these elements and we're taking a look at them and we're seeing, okay, what can we do with these elements? And it stems from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23. It says this, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, And self-control there is no law against these things and so each week what we're doing is we're we're analyzing each of these elements of the Holy Spirit and I want to make sure that this is clear that these things do not produce the Holy Spirit but yet the Holy Spirit when we have in our lives produce these things these elements it produces the love it produces the joy it produces peace and patience and kindness and so on and I think it's really important for us to understand that because if you if you get that confused then you're missing everything you're missing everything. You cannot get this confused. This is so important. And the other thing I want you to know is this, is that when you have the Holy Spirit in your life, it's not like, a, it's not like you're looking at a chart and, you know, you've got this much patience, but you're lacking a little bit in the joy, but your, your gentleness is up here. We've got the same amount of everything, but this is what I believe. I believe that what, what some of us are better at is controlling some of them. Some of us are better at controlling our joy. Some of us are better at controlling our faithfulness. Some of us are better at handling the goodness or the gentleness in our lives. And my goal today and what we're going to be focusing on is gentleness, the gentleness that is produced from the Holy Spirit. And my goal for you today is whether or not you feel like you have any gentleness or or whatever. Here's the thing. I want you to know this right off the bat. You do have gentleness in your life no matter what's going on or how you might feel about it, there is gentleness in your life. But here's what, here's what I think a lot of us don't know, is how to control it or how to use it, how to wield this gentleness that the Holy Spirit has given us. Now, I want to take a step back here for a second. Uh, a few years ago, I was uh, a student at the University of Louisville. That's where I got my bachelor's degree, and, um, And while I was there, I was studying health and human performance. I I love to exercise, I love fitness, and so I I spent my whole time there just studying all of that. And for one semester, I needed to get one credit, okay, and so I went ahead and I took a strength and conditioning course, which, believe it or not, you do get a credit in college for going and exercising, which I thought was pretty awesome. And so in this course, it was called strength and conditioning, and on day one, our teacher was speaking to us about, you know, the safeties of being in the gym, you know, gym etiquette, all these things, you know, how to be polite, what to do with the weights, how to lift properly, and so on. And one of the things that he wanted to clear up, though, on day one is that he didn't know whether or not we were going to walk out of there feeling or looking, really, like the way we want to look, you know, like he didn't know if we were going to walk out of there looking like we have a six-pack, looking like Thor from the comic books or anything like that, right, like Chris Hemsworth, my wife's man crush, Uh, but... (laughs) But, but he didn't know that. But what he did promise us is that we would walk out of there stronger. And I, I really liked that. He said, listen, you might not walk out of here with a beach body, but I promise you, you will walk out of here stronger. And he wanted to demonstrate the difference between strength and just looks of strength. And so we asked the classroom, he asked everyone, we're sitting in a racquetball room. He asked everybody, he said, you know, is there anyone here who thinks that they are the strongest person in the classroom? I was going to raise my hand, but I was taught to be humble. And then, and then some other guy raised his hand. And this guy, I mean, he was a big dude. Big dude, really tight t-shirt. You know, he comes walking up, and he's like, you know, just like this. He's like, I'm that guy. You know, like, you know, it's like I will pull the sword out of the rock. Um, and what happens is, is uh, he goes up there, and the teacher says, okay, I, I want to do a demonstration with you. So he asked the gentleman in front of the whole class to get down on the floor on his knees. So he got down on his knees. And then the teacher held his ankles from behind him, and he told the gentleman to cross his arms around his chest and to lower his body as slowly as he could until he was flat on the surface. And about when he got to the 45 angle, he just dropped flat on his face. He couldn't, He couldn't. this, this massive guy could not support himself. And the teacher was saying, listen, there's a reason you were not able to do this. It's because you are not as strong as you think you are. And that's not a bad thing. I'm just pointing out that there's a difference between strength and looks of strength. So again, he asked uh, everyone else in the classroom to try this out. He, He told everyone, all right, listen, I want you to find a partner, get on your knees, have them hold your ankle, and I want you to gently lower yourself to the ground. And one by one, everyone's faces just kept dropping and dropping and dropping. And the reason I'm telling you this is because here's the thing. If we do not learn how to control the gentleness that the Holy Spirit has given us, we too will fall on our face at some point in our lives. We too will fall flat on our face. And here's the thing. I think a lot of us think, oh, I've got gentleness, or I've got that under control, or I don't need it. But if you think that, then there will come a point in your life where, again, you will fall flat on your face. Whether it's because of something you said, something you did, something that you posted, you will fall on your face, and it's because of our lack of gentleness that this can happen, that this will happen. And if we lack the gentleness that the Holy Spirit has to offer, we have the power to do more damage than good in our lives. And what's sad, though, is I believe that we live in a society where we have this uh, speak-your-mind mentality. Speak-your-mind because that's what needs to be said, or this is what needs to be heard. Speak your mind. We have this speak your mind mentality. We think it's either funny or we think it's bold, right? We think that, you know what, talking trash or letting someone know what what we're really thinking or letting, letting the world know our opinions on this, we think that that right there is what is needed. We think that that right there is what God wants us to do, right? I mean, some of us are encouraged even. Some of us have... Friends around us are saying, you need to tell your husband exactly how you feel. You need to tell your wife really who's boss. You need to tell them exactly what's going on. Maybe you this morning decided to uh, tell your spouse exactly how you felt about how tired you are of being late to church, right? You're tired of uh, speeding 40 miles per hour down the road. And so in the car on the way here, maybe you just finally unloaded. And sometimes I think we think that that is the right way to approach things, that that is what is necessary, that, you know what, gentleness hasn't gotten me anywhere. I need to start showing strength. I need to start being bold. I need to stop holding back. And you couldn't be more wrong, though. Because gentleness, gentleness, I feel like, is something that is truly misunderstood. And I want to talk about this for a second, okay, because here's the thing is that we have... When we have the gentleness that the Holy Spirit provides, we have the ability to do some amazing things, more powerful things than speaking our mind or sharing our opinions or giving our thoughts on this or that. In Luke 9, 51 through 56, it says this. It says, Jesus, and I'm summing this up for you. Jesus was about to ascend into heaven. This is not up here. Again, I'm just kind of summarizing this for you. Jesus was about to ascend into heaven. But before doing so, he wanted to visit Jerusalem one last time. So he sent two disciples ahead of him, James and John, to prepare for his arrival. So James and John, they're disciples of Jesus, and Jesus has already, you know, he's died, he's been resurrected, and he's about to be ascended into heaven. But before doing so, Jesus has told his disciples, listen, I want to go see Jerusalem one last time. So he sends James and John ahead, and James and John goes that, go there, and they're expecting Jerusalem to be just welcoming with open arms. They're expecting people to, like, have a parade ready for Jesus. They're expecting people to just be excited that James and John are there just because they know that they are followers of Jesus, right? Well, what happens instead, it says this. It says, but when James and John got there, the Samaritans didn't want to welcome Jesus. They didn't want Jesus to come there. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus. They didn't want to celebrate Jesus. They didn't want to see that he was resurrected. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to see it. They didn't want to know it. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus. So James and John went back to Jesus and and told him about this. They went back to Jesus and said, Jesus, do you have any idea like what these people are saying about you? Do you have any idea what people are thinking? Do you have any idea what people are posting? Do you have any idea what what word is being spread about you? Do you have any idea what's going on here? And as they told him this, they went on to ask. They said, Lord, what if we did this? Should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? That was their reaction And it was less of a question, I feel like, and more of a suggestion. Jesus, you know what we should do? We should call down fire and punish them. We should destroy them. We should let them know exactly who we are. We should let them know exactly who you are and how you feel and what we think. That's exactly what we should do. But Jesus rebuked them saying this, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. Clearly, Jesus is pointing out here to James and John, listen, you don't understand. If you knew anything about the Holy Spirit, if you knew anything about what it produces in your life, that would be the last thing you would suggest. But how many times do we, when it comes to, again, what we see on the news, what we hear being said, we feel like it's a need for us to call down fire, like God wants us to bring the rain, like God needs us to do this. But instead, Jesus says, listen, that is not what I am about. That is not what the Holy Spirit is about. He goes on to say, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Jesus is saying right here and right now, listen, I didn't come, I could be, listen, I am the Son of God. Technically, I am God in the form of man. Do you think that I really need your help to, to bring destruction, to enforce power, to get people to do things you know, in a harsh way that, or to go about things in a harsh way to get people to do what I want them to do? Do you think I need you to do that? No. Instead, I came not to do those things. Instead, I came to save them. I came to be gentle. I came to be loving. I came to be patient. I came to be kind. I came to show goodness. I came to show faithfulness. I came to show gentleness and self-control. I came to do all these things. But right now, this is not of, you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. Because the very thing you just said is not produced from the Holy Spirit. That is not from the Holy Spirit. And I think a lot of us respond the way James and John suggested, though, that we should bring thunder and fire with our words or actions. But Jesus tells us that's not what we are supposed to do at all. And in fact, Jesus went on to say in Ezekiel 33, 11, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I have no pleasure in seeing people who, yes, sin, go through tough times. I have no pleasure in seeing people who have wronged me get hurt. I have no pleasure in seeing those who, you know what, deny me, suffer. And can, I, can we just be honest here for a second? There's a little part of us that none of us will probably admit, but maybe we only share it with our spouse. But there's a little part of us inside of all of us that when we see someone who we know doesn't believe in Jesus or we know a coworker who doesn't believe in God or has criticized us for going to church or we know someone in our family or whatever, right, who doesn't know Jesus or has doubted or has sinned or whatever, there's a part of us that when we see that they are going through a tough time, that's kind of like, that's what they get. That's what they deserve. That's, what, that's, how, that's God punishing them. I hope they recognize that. And that is not at all what Jesus wants. In fact, Jesus says, I have no pleasure in such this. I have no pleasure in this at all. But what I do find pleasure in is that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Instead, Jesus says, I don't have any pleasure in knowing that someone who doesn't believe in me is suffering. The only pleasure I have is knowing that when those who are suffering turn towards me, that's what Jesus is saying right here. And Jesus was able to gently encourage people to sin no more. And, and what stinks is that, is that gentleness, I feel like, gets a bad rap. I think, like, gentleness, unfortunately, is confused for softness or weakness, And guys, I'm talking to you because I think a lot of us men think that, you know what, if I'm too gentle with my children or if I'm too gentle when it comes to what people are saying, if I'm too gentle at work, then I'm going to come off soft or weak or like, you know, passive aggressive or whatever. You know, like I feel like I am going to come off like not a man, like that people will push me around. But in fact, when, when gentleness is properly translated, you know what it means? It means strength under control. That's what gentleness is. Gentleness is strength under control. Because here's the thing, we have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have the power. The Holy Spirit is powerful. But here's the thing, when we are not exercising gentleness, it's not under control. We have power in our words. We have power in our Facebook and Instagram and Twitter posts, we have power in our our opinions and what we say about people behind their back. We have power in what we say in front of our children. We have power in what we say to our wives, to our husbands, about our wives or about our husbands. Those things have power. But here's the thing, when that power is under control, that's when we are exercising gentleness. A lot of us have grown up thinking that we have to either be gentle or be strong. But when you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you don't have to choose. You have strength, but that strength is wielded differently. It's strength with control. That's what gentleness is. But Corey, uh, you don't understand. How am I supposed to be gentle to someone who wronged me? I know these people have been saying things about me. I know these people have done these things towards me. I know these these people have done terrible things to people I care about. How am I supposed to be gentle to them? How do I get my brother to stop drinking and get help? He's been in the hospital for the sixth time. I'm just ready to go off on him. I'm ready to just shake him like crazy. Like, I don't understand. Does he not see what he's doing to our family? Does he not see what he's doing to us? How am I supposed to be gentle towards him? How do I get my kids to sit and listen without hollering? How do I get them to sit and listen without hollering? How do I get the the discussions or the talks I have with my children to not end without screaming and hollering and doors getting slammed and someone screaming, I hate you. How do I do that? Gentleness is the key to every single one of these things. Be honest for a second. Who in here are my hollers, my yellers? I didn't really expect y'all to raise your hand, but I'm proud of you. (laughs) I am really proud of you because I'm a yeller, like, and it's something that I am really, like, I've learned to, like, I got to work on. And like, when I say yelling, I'm not like, please don't be confused. I'm not by any means yelling at my wife. But what I mean is, is like I talked about this with self-control, for example. Self-control in the car, do y'all remember what I talked about? The outer loop, uh, exit right here. Okay, listen, my natural instinct is to start yelling in the car. My natural instinct is to start screaming. My natural instinct when I get angry is to explode sometimes. And here's the thing, you know, whether you're getting in an argument or trying to discipline your kids, you can't help it. Sometimes it's just our natural instinct to yell or respond harshly, and it's worse when they say, stop yelling, and you're really not yelling yet, right? Uh, <laughs> I'm not yelling. Yes, you are. But anyways, it's exhausting, though, isn't it? It is exhausting. Let me ask you this, though. Is it working? Is it working, or do you feel like you're on repeat every single week? week? Or weekend, repeating, yelling, arguing about the same thing. How many of us right now are just exhausted of the fighting? I am so exhausted because it feels like every day we're we're screaming and fighting. I'm so exhausted because it feels like I've got to raise my voice at work for anyone to hear me. I am so exhausted because I tried to do the whole talk to your kids softly and gently. But here's the thing. It's not working. And we feel like there's no other option but to explode sometimes. That We feel like there's no other option but to yell or to scream just to be heard. But listen, I'm telling you right now, gentleness, when we have the gentleness that the Holy Spirit provides, it is amazing. It is amazing how much can change. In Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, says this, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and ca- carry heavy burdens. Come to me, all of you who are tired of fighting with your spouse. Come to me, all of you who are worried about your kids and them not hearing you. Come to me, all of you who are stressed out because of that family member who just will not listen to you about how awesome Jesus is. Come to me, all of you who are concerned about that, that co-worker who you know is going through a tough time and if they just knew how much Jesus could help them. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry these heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Everyone just take a deep breath right now. That's the feeling that we can have day in and day out when we have gentleness in our lives. Jesus goes on to say, take my yoke upon you. Let me, please let me teach you because I am humble and what's that word? Gentle at heart. And you will find rest. You will find rest. Moms, can I get an amen? You will find rest for your souls. You will be able to take a breath. You will be able to sit on the couch. You will be able to go to sleep with peace. You will be able to do all these things. You will be able to relax. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. That right there is what gentleness can do for us. But it only works if we let if we let Jesus teach us. Sometimes when you know when I'm when I'm frustrated and, and, I'm, and I start yelling, Meredith's like, can you just stop yelling? And like, just let me be mad, right? Like you just want to, like you just want someone to let you be mad, right? But here's what Jesus is saying: listen, let me teach you. And the way you respond to things, the way you handle situations, the way you handle what's going on in the world today will change completely. With the time we have left today, we are going to answer this question. How do I put the gentleness the Holy Spirit provides into action? How do I take control of this? Again, some of us, we've all got the same amount of gentleness that the Holy Spirit provides, but some of us are still struggling, trying to figure out, how do I obtain it? How do I control it? How do I wield this? How do I put it into action so I can have peace, so I can calm down. So that way the yelling can stop. How do I do this? We're going to answer these questions today, and here's the thing. The, this question and the answers I give you is going to help you uh, with whatever it is that, that's going on in your life right now. It's going to help you bring that friend to Christ. They're going to ha- these questions right here, they're going to help you better communicate with your kids. It's going to help you better communicate with your kids, and ultimately, and even more importantly, They're going to help you be used by God. These actions right here, these actions are going to help you be used by God. Some of us right now, we don't have any gentleness in us, and we're wondering, God, how come you're not using me? God, how come you haven't called on me? God, how come you haven't used me the way you have used them? And God is saying, listen, that's because the Holy Spirit that I have for you is not of you right now. You do not have that gentleness in you right now. I don't want to send you over here to talk to this person because I know exactly how you're going to react. Today, all that can change. So how do I put the gentleness the Holy Spirit provides into action? The first thing we have to do is we must learn how to correct others with easiness. And this is a tough one. We've got to learn how to correct others with easiness. Second Timothy 2:23 says, again I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. I mean, I could leave it right there. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish Ignorant arguments that only start fights. Don't comment on that Facebook post. Don't retweet what you think. Yes, they, even though it might be true, even though it might be right, but you're retweeting it because you want so and so to see it. Don't do that. Don't be foolish. Don't be ignorant. Don't get into it with those people at work. Don't listen. Don't do those things. A servant of the Lord, which hopefully we can all call ourselves, must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Not just the sinners, not just you know what those, not 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 just people that we like, not just you know what the members of our church or the members of our family, but we must be kind to everyone. We must be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Amen. Holy cow! How do I be patient with difficult people? Let me tell you something. When uh, one of the most challenging things for me, when I became a pastor was I originally worked at UPS and at UPS I had a position where I was the boss and what the boss said the employees did and it was really simple it was really easy that way and when you had difficult people at work what would you do you talk to them you write you write something up you get their signature and that sort of deal right But as I became, as I went on to know Jesus, as I began to grow in my relationship to Jesus, as I started off in youth ministry and as I started off, you know, in the church volunteering, and I saw people, and I saw the things that they're going through, God began to work on my heart. And all of a sudden, I was able to be patient, not with difficult people, but with his people, with people who were struggling. And I took on this different image. I took on this image, or I took on this idea as listen, this is not a difficult person, but this is a hurting person who needs my patience right now, not my yelling, not my, not my arguing, not my opinions. He needs or she needs my patience right now. 25 says, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Everything that's going on right now, and Pastor Jason talked about this last week, so I'm not going to go into it too much, but everything that we see on Facebook, all these debates, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. And sometimes, sometimes it goes back to this, don't get involved in it. Don't get involved in the foolish, ignorant arguments. Perhaps, it goes on to say, perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. And I think a lot of us, we need to pay attention to this last part because we look at people who are sinning or people who disagree with us about this or that, and we say, you know what, they just hate God, don't they? They just hate God. They hate God, they hate Christians, they hate everything I stand for, and I need to let them know what I think. I need to let them know the truth. But here's the thing, this is what God says. Stay out of the foolish and ignorant arguments. Be patient. And if the time comes, gently instruct. But here's the thing, most importantly, perhaps God will change those people's hearts. I think a lot of us think that we're going to post something that's going to change people's hearts. I think a lot of us think that if I share this article, it's going to change people's hearts. If I come up with this one liner on Twitter and it gets retweeted a thousand times, I'll save the nation. No. Listen, I'm telling you right now, all God asks us to do is to be patient, stay out of these things, okay, that are foolish and ignorant, okay? When someone comes asking for us, asking for advice, gently instruct them. But ultimately, it's not going to be you, it's not going to be me, that's going to bring them to know Jesus. It's not going to be us that changes their hearts. I was not saved, I don't know about you, and see me after service if you were, because this is incredible, but I was not saved because of the Bible, I didn't open the Bible and say, wow, this suddenly clicks now. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I did not suddenly hear someone finally tell me, Corey, you've got to stop doing this. For the millionth time, And I was finally like, you know what, they're right. This whole time, I don't know what I was hearing. The ni- the, the, those previous 99 times, they told me I was sinning. I don't know what I was hearing, but now it makes sense. No one changes their heart through that. But here's the thing. God will change those people's hearts, perhaps. All he asks us to do Again, it's to stay out of the foolish, ignorant arguments. Be gentle. Be patient. Then they will learn the truth. And here's what's sad. And they don't know it. And sometimes we forget about this. But those who we see sinning, hopefully they will come to their senses because where they are right now, they are held captive by him who, do, who, who does whatever he wants. In other words, Satan has them. Satan has hold of them. And I think sometimes we get angry because we think, you know what, those people are just doing anything and everything they want, but really they're doing anything and everything that Satan is telling them to do. And it's what, it's what we need to do. We need to be able to correct others with easiness. Tebow, uh, Tebow is my dog, who's absolutely awesome. Um, and you probably, if you follow me on Facebook or Instagram, you're probably sick and tired of seeing photos of him. But my wife uh, about, well, we found out a month ago, but this past Monday, we announced that she is pregnant, which we are really pumped about, really excited about. Thank you. And as soon as we found out, I was at the vet uh, over at Gaylor, and uh, I took Tebow to the vet, and, you know, he was, Tebow does really good around other dogs and and everything, really he just keeps himself around other dogs, he doesn't like to get near them, but I'm at the counter, and uh, I'm trying to pay, and I look down. And I wish I had posted this picture up here on the screen, but I look down, and it really, it, it sounds like something of like a movie, but Tebow has wrapped his leash completely around my leg and is tugging, and I'm trying to pay like this. It was really pretty funny. I snapped the photo, and I sent it to Meredith, and I just remember thinking to myself, we've got, and I asked the person at the desk, I said, hey, is, do you know of any obedience classes we can get Tebow in? And, uh, and they gave me this brochure, and I checked out the brochure. It said, yes, you can do this. I checked it out. Like, it said, like, the dogs are trained through, uh, through uh, positive reinforcement. Positive reinforcement. And I really like that because, you know, uh, uh, Tebow, you know, he, uh, he doesn't respond to spanking or yelling or anything like that. Like, I, it sounds like he's a baby. I'm sorry, but he's my boy. But anyways, uh, but here's the thing is that we took Tebow on week one, and week one was great for the training. It was really good. But here's the thing that made me a little nervous. Um, we uh, actually, the instructor encouraged us, because as we came walking in, I don't know what your dog's like, but Tebow's just like wanting to sniff everywhere. So he's just pulling me, us everywhere. And the instructor immediately said, let me, let me just offer you something. He offered us a pinch collar, which is a little collar that you put around the dog's neck, and if it starts to pull, it's got these little, these little uh, pointers that like will... Uh, not choke him, but pinch his neck, and instantly we put it on him, and it responded really well. Like, I mean, he wasn't tugging or anything like that. He just, like, you know, he just stopped instantly, and that was the only thing that worried me, but the rest of it was, you know, positive reinforcement, as the brochure had said, you know, like, you know, you say sit. If the dog doesn't sit, you just put his butt down, and you say good sit. There you go. It was kind of crazy, how, but it worked, okay? Week two, though, really kind of put up a red flag for us because it was like a 180, Unfortunately, when we got there, you know there were more dogs. So all the dogs are focused on each other. And the thing is, is that the instructor really—I in, don't want to say enjoyed—he really uh, encouraged us to take full advantage of this pinch collar. And so if the dog did something wrong, you were to yank it, and it would pinch the dog's neck. And the other dogs would respond. Some of them would respond and, and start following their owner. And I remember this sounds really kind of pathetic. I'm sorry. I love my dog, but he just. I remember looking at Tebow, and he just looked up at me, and I'd never seen my dog so sad. His tail was completely tucked. It was. If you know my dog, he smiles a lot. He was not smiling right now. And in fact, Tebow, when it came to me needing to tug on the leash, he froze, and he wouldn't move. And the instructor kept telling me, "You got to pull. You got to jerk it." And I didn't. I was like, "I, "I don't know." And as I was pulling, like. Finally, Tebow started biting at the leash. He wanted to break away from me. And here's the thing. I don't want to compare anyone who you care about as a dog, but I am. here's the thing, we have some relationships in our lives and we feel like we think that jerking on them or telling them to come this way or doing things the way that we want them to do them, we think that that's going to make them want to follow us. But more than anything, in fact, what it's going to do, it's going to cause you to walk with Jesus and they're going to want to stay behind because they want nothing to do with you and this Jesus you talk about. And they're going to try and chew off and break away from you. And what's going to happen is at the end of the day, you're just going to destroy the relationships you have with people. We've got to learn how to be gentle. We've got to be able to learn how to correct others with easiness. Because I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you right now, the pulling and the jerking and the screaming and the shouting and the hollering and the posting and the commenting, it's not going to get you or them anywhere together. The second thing we have to do is we must learn how to forgive. If we want to produce, if we want to uh, learn how to put the gentleness that the Holy Spirit provides in action, we must learn how to forgive. We have to learn how to forgive. Matthew eighteen twenty three says this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. 26 goes on to say, but the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt that right there is the story of our salvation. If you've been saved, you know exactly how to relate right here because we have sinned against God. We have, you know what, turned our backs on Him. We have said things to Him that, you know what, we wish we had never said. We have said things to others that we wish we had never said. And here's the thing, when we go to God and we're begging Him for forgiveness, we're begging Him to come into our life, we are begging Him to take care of this debt that we cannot pay back. We're begging Him to give us a second chance. And the amazing part is, is that God gives it to us. God gives it to us when, in fact, what we deserve, is nothing like that. It says right here that these people deserve to have uh, his wife, his children, and everything he owned sold. We deserve hell, to be honest. We deserve to, you know what, be cast into the fire. But Jesus was sent so that way we could have a second chance. But here's the issue. Here's the problem. We accept Jesus, but then what happens next is exactly what happens in the real world. It goes on to say in verse 28, But when the man left the king... He went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Remember, he originally owed millions. Now his servant only owes a few thousand. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king. Oh, I'm sorry. I think I skipped it. Or did I skip it? Oh, yes. Uh, His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. Jesus has, you know what, Jesus has forgiven us. He Listen, he paid the ultimate sacrifice so that way we wouldn't be cast away. And all that God asks us to do is to forgive others as he has forgiven us. But we struggle with this. We struggle with this idea. We, You know what, when when it talks about how he grabbed a man at the throat and demanded that he be paid back instantly, I think some of us, you know what, I don't know about you, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't come to know Jesus until I was about a senior in high school. You could even say freshman in college. And, and it, it was a process. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen by me getting invited to the youth group and my friends telling me, why aren't you coming? You should come to youth, you idiot. And then me coming and like, oh, well, this sounds loving. You know, like it wasn't that. But I think some of us have that mentality, right? Like some of us, we think, man, you want to come to church? Why not? You don't want to come? You know, like, I, we, we have this mentality sometimes. We have this mentality, and not only that, but we have it with everything else. I'm not just talking about inviting people to church. But I'm talking about with anything and everything. We want people to change instantly for us. But for us, we say, just give me time. Be patient with me, please. I'm working on it. But then when it comes to our spouse or when it comes to our kids, we want them to be fixed instantly. We want them to like change on day one. We're supposed to have the discussion, as Pastor Jason said. We talked about it. It's Tuesday. Yesterday was Monday. Why are you not doing better? (laughs) Right? But what what we are told is that we must learn how to forgive others. We must learn how to be patient. We must learn how to be kind. We have to be able to forgive others because here's something. I didn't even put the scripture up here, but the Bible tells us that if we do not learn how to forgive others, God won't forgive us. God will not forgive you if you cannot forgive others. Now, I don't want you to go around forgiving others just so that way you don't go to hell or anything like that, but what you should be doing is you should be going around forgiving others because of the fact that, listen, you want to share the gentleness that God has bestowed upon you. God gave you gentleness that you will never be able to understand, that you will never be able to comprehend. God has forgiven sinners that you will never understand. How could God forgive that person for what they did? You're not meant to understand it. you just simply, you just need to know that he has forgiven those people. So if God can forgive those people for this huge thing that they have done, why can't you forgive that coworker? Why can't you forgive that family member for what they have done? We must learn how to forgive. And the third and final thing is this. And this is a big one. This is a tough one for a lot of us. We must learn how to set our opinions aside. We must learn how to set our opinions aside aside. Let me ask you this. What are you known for? Are you known for what you stand for? Are you known for what, where you stand in politics? Are you known for that tough person at work? Are you known as the tough mom or tough dad? Are you known as that person? John the Baptist came before Jesus, and, and he preached to Jesus or preached uh, about Jesus, about the coming of Jesus to the people. And and finally when Jesus arrived, in John 3.30, it says this. John the Baptist said, He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Jesus must become greater and greater. Jesus must become greater than my opinions. Jesus must become greater than where I stand. Jesus must become greater than my opinions. Jesus must become greater than, you know what, than the reason I'm not forgiving these people. Jesus must become greater than everything. And what I stand for, my opinions, even though my opinions line up with this, sometimes I need to become less. My thoughts need to become less. My opinions need to become less. What do people know you for? Jesus was not known about his, for his opinions on politics. Jesus was not known for his opinions on this or that. Instead, Jesus was known for what? For his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, and his self control. That's what attracted people to Jesus. People didn't go to Jesus because, well, where does Jesus stand with that? And then they came to him. No, they were attracted to Jesus because they knew that they could go to him and receive forgiveness, receive gentleness, receive love, receive something other than what they've already been getting, which is judgment. How many of us are known for our gentleness? How many, people, how many people can you honestly say, think of you and say, man, they're, they're just a gentle person. They're, they're gentle. I can go to them. People can go to them and talk to them. P- you know what? I know them because of how loving they are to people. I know them because of how forgiving they are to people. I know them because of how patient they are with people. Or are you known because of your Facebook post? Are you known because of what you have said to your friends? Are you known for blank?" fill in the blank. What are you known for? We must become less. He must become greater. Our opinions must become less. He must become greater. Our desires must become less. He must become greater. Our issues with other people must become less. He must become greater. It's when we do this, when we set our opinions aside, we're able to forgive others. When we set our opinions aside, we're able to correct others with easiness. When we set our opinions aside, we're able to exercise, to wield, to control the gentleness the Holy Spirit has provided for us. What are we known for? What are you known for? You, believe it or not, are a representative for Christ. What are you known for? Because for the people who do not know Jesus but know you, what they see in you is probably what they're kind of thinking Jesus is. Why would I want to be with Jesus if you're like this and you're a follower of Jesus? You're anything but gentle. What are you known for? Are you known for where you stand? That's not what we're supposed to be known for. In the front of every chair, or on your chair if you're in the front row, there's four questions. Maybe it's under your chair. There's four questions that I want us to ask ourselves throughout this week. And if we answer them honestly, I believe that come next week, I'm not going to say everything's going to be fixed or everything will be perfect, but I think we'll be able to start seeing gentleness a little bit more in our lives. First question is this. Was I gentle in the situations I face today? If not, why? Were my rationalizations prideful? I being prideful? Do I exhibit the same gentleness to others that God exhibits to me every day? Every day I say, I'm sorry, Jesus. I won't do it again. And every day I do it again. And I'm not saying that that's okay, but what's amazing is, again, it goes back to us not understanding God's gentleness. He forgives us. He loves us. He gives us that second chance, even though it's so undeserving. But how many times have we said, you know what, three strikes, you're out, I I can't forgive you. Three strikes, you're out, I can't be gentle with you anymore. Three strikes, you're out, I can't can't do this anymore. Number three, do people describe me as gentle, or do they describe me as critical or brash, and why? The why is really the answer that we, that, that is the question that's most important for us to answer. What are we doing to cause people to think that we're not gentle, to think that we are critical, to think we are brash. And the fourth and final question is this, do I gently encourage people to sin no more or do I self-righteously cast the first stone? Do I sit in front of the television waiting for this decision to be made so I can post the first comment? Do I sit there waiting to, to see others, someone else in our family or this sinner at work screw up so that way I can go and talk about, you know what? I, I told you it was going to happen. I told you they were going to mess up. I told you we shouldn't have forgiven them. I told you we shouldn't have let them come into our home. I told you we shouldn't have given them a second chance. Or are we encouraging? Let's pray.